All right, if you brought a Bible, which most people don't anymore, but uh, maybe you brought a cell phone or an iPad or something and you'd like to follow along with us, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11, please. So we just sang a song that uh, goes so well. Jim Moyer, by the way, wrote that song. And it's, it goes along so well with what we're talking about today. So if I say God is, and you fill in the blank, what would that be? So just one at a time, let me just hear some. God is great, good, awesome, love, wonderful, alpha and omega, faithful, the beginning and the end, absolutely. Hopeful. There's just, I mean, you can just say words and words. Those, those all seem to be pretty positive words about God, don't they? But they often, I think, I think about this so often. I think, Lord, I can't wait to just be able to see you because I can't really comprehend everything that you are. I think we're going to be so shocked when we see the Lord. He'll be so beyond what we could have ever imagined. But uh, today we want to talk about one aspect, the aspect of, of who God is, and hopefully it'll tweak our thinking a little bit. I, uh, I'd like to ask you too, how did you form your opinion about God? Some people say, I think God, such and such, such and such, or they say, I believe this or I believe that, and I always ask, how did you form that opinion? Reading the Bible. That's right, from the Word of God. So I had a boss one time, certainly wasn't close to God, but he was kind of, he kind of uh, epitomized my perception of God at that period in my life. And he was big, he was stern, he wasn't mean, but he was stern. Very seldom, if ever, would you hear him say, good job, great job, or tell you that he thought a lot of you or whatever. And in that season of my life, I know, I know this isn't what I was taught, but it's somehow what I came to believe primarily, I think, because in that period of time, they talked a lot about the return of Jesus. And I was terrified of God. The love of God didn't come shining through to me. It was, it was more of an unhealthy kind of a fear of God. So this morning we're going to talk about God's one aspect of God's goodness. I want you to follow along as I begin reading in 2 Samuel chapter 11. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, notice that, when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. So notice the this is the normally the time the kings would go out to battle, but David stayed home. He didn't go out to battle with the army. One evening, God got up from his bed. I'm sorry, one evening, David got up from his bed. <laughs> well, certainly wasn't God in this instance. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. Now remember. David has got more wives than anybody would want, and he's got concubines beside that, so he can have a different woman every night for the rest of his life. It's not that he didn't 
have available in lots of beautiful women. But here's an example of just lust, where lust isn't choosy. The man, the man said, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Now, Uriah the Hittite is one of, God, one of David's mighty men. In other words, it would be today like we'd say he was part of the special, special forces. He was an elite soldier that was fighting for David at this point in his life. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him. He slept with her. He didn't sleep with her. Let's say he's had sex with her. And she became pregnant. She had purified herself from uncleanness. Then the woman went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. So the first thing I want you to think about with me is, number one on your outline there, just fill in, no one will ever know. That's the deception of sin, is that we think we can do something that's displeasing to the Lord or is hurtful or harmful to another person, and nobody's going to find out about it. We can, we can hide it. That's why when I went into the Safeway store when I was, I was probably a third grader, I suppose, and I'd take a candy bar between Sunday school and church, ironically, and I would grab a candy bar and look around, see if anybody's looking, and I'd put it in my pocket. Why did I do that? because I didn't want anybody to know what I'd done. That's why when I was managing a grocery store, I, I would get in the, in the beer cooler, and there was a glass fronts on the beer cooler, and I'd get in the beer cooler, and I'd kind of eyeball through the store, especially if I saw high school kids coming in, because the wine was right in front of the beer cooler, and they were stealing MD wine. <laughs> Mad Dog, that's what we called it, yeah. I can tell you did too. <laughs> so I'd get in there and I'd, I'd look around, see if I could catch anybody trying to hide something from me. And another store that I worked in, the huge store, and on the back wall up high they had these windows about every 15 feet all the way across the back. Why did they do that? So that you would always wonder, is there somebody looking? Am I going to get caught? Because I don't want to do something. I want to hide. I want to hide it. I don't want to get caught doing something I shouldn't. So David is, this story is kind of characteristic of kind of the way that sin goes. Uh, David was supposed to be on the battlefield. One of his best men, one of his best friends, Uriah, was on the battlefield fighting for him. And he saw Uriah's wife Bathsheba bathing. We don't have any idea how that would have taken place. She was perhaps on the roof of the house. He was on the roof of the house. They could see her and called for her. I can't imagine what Bathsheba must have gone through. Whether she wanted to come or not, this is the king that's calling her. So she goes and she becomes pregnant. And when she finds out that she's pregnant and tells David, then he sends for Uriah, one of his fighting men, and brings him back to Jerusalem in the hope that he would sleep with his wife and his David's sin would be covered. Well, Uriah had a lot, of, a lot more character than David did. He said, how can I sleep with my wife? My men are out fighting on the battlefield. How can I sleep with my wife? So he didn't, he didn't go in the house. Second night, David got him drunk. I mean, just think about this. David got him drunk so that he would be more vulnerable and would sleep with his wife. He didn't. So David knew he wasn't going to be able to hide it in that way, so he sent a message, a note of some kind, uh, 
with Uriah back to the battlefield. And he said to the commander in this note, send Uriah up to the front lines and then back away. In other words, leave him vulnerable so he's going he's gonna to get, get killed. He was, and so Joab then sent a message to David, said it's, it's been done. So David thinks, he thinks it's all good. Covered by sin. But he didn't cover his sin because God knew. Now if you think of some area in your life where you've done something wrong, I think you'll agree with me, you try to hide it. You hurt a person, or you do something that violates your relationship with the Lord, you try and hide it. When I was a high school kid, uh, this is one of the funniest things that's ever happened to me. I was a high school kid, and I was over at Virginia's house, and not the Virginia that I'm married to now, but I was over at Virginia's house, and we were sitting on the couch, and we started out by watching, watching television. And pretty soon we got distracted and started playing kissy face. And we were playing kissy face, and her mom was in bed. Her dad was a truck driver, and he drove to Portland every day, which is about a two- or three-hour drive and back. So he'd get home late at night. And we weren't paying any attention to the time. We were, playing, we were too busy playing kissy face. And pretty soon, I didn't hear it, but she heard the back door open, and, man, she, she lurched. And so we both sat on the couch like this, like we're watching television when he walked in the door. The problem was that the TV station had gone off and there was just snow on the screen. <laughs> so he, so, so he, he kind of knew what was going on right then. <laughs> but we thought, well, we can, we can hide it. The second thought, you can fill in the blank there, is, oh, no, it's out. So the first step is we try and hide it. Secondly, it gets, it, it gets found out. A grievous thing happened recently. You may have read about it in the newspaper or watched on the news where Jerry, Jerry Falwell's son, who is now the, I think he was the president of Liberty University at this time, he unzipped his pants and put some kind of a picture on the Internet. I don't remember how it was, but it was talking about stupid, I mean, for many reasons. And so that was exposed, so they started digging into into his life, and they found out through investigation that his wife had propositioned the pool boy to come in and have sex with her while her husband watched. And this, of course, was exposed, and and uh, and his his life is ruined. His life is his life is over. So first we hide, then somehow it always gets found out. David thought. All is well. I've got a gorgeous wife. I'm going to have a little baby. All is well. But notice 2 Samuel chapter 11. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house. She became his wife and bore him a son. And here's what I want you to notice. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. Part of the implication of that is we think we get away with something. <laughs> God knows. If nobody else knows, God knows. And he was displeased, of course, with David. So I don't know how long a period of time passed, but Nathan the prophet, you, you didn't want to have Nathan the prophet coming and seeing you. Nathan the prophet showed up 
with the king. And he's a pretty bold guy to say these things to the king. He tell, told him this kind of parable. He said, well, there was this traveler who needed something to eat. So I went to this wealthy man who had lots of flocks and herds. He was a very, very wealthy guy. And asked him for something to eat. And the wealthy guy sent him to this poor man who just had one lamb. The poor man killed his lamb and gave the traveler something to eat. And so Nathan looked at David and he said, what do you, what do you think should be done? Well, David was furious. He says, he ought, to, he, ought to, he, ought to, he ought to die. He deserves to die for that. And can you imagine what David thought when Nathan said, you're the man. I've just described you. You had all of these wives, as many as you wanted to choose from, but you took this one man's wife and you slept with her. David said he deserves to die. Well, God didn't kill David. Ultimately, as we'll see in a few moments, he was forgiven. But the consequences of his life were calamity. Three of his sons, Absalom, Adonijah, and Amnon, all brought lots of trouble to David's life. Uh, later in his life, his wives, somebody slept with his wives publicly out in the open. What a humiliating thing. And the boy that Bathsheba gave birth to died. Now here's kind of a sideline that's kind of important. It's one of the, one of the reasons that we think about abortion and little kids as we do is that uh, when David when David's boy was sick he fasted and he prayed but when he died the Bible says he got up he went to the house of, he went home and, and uh, changed his clothes and then went to the house of the Lord and worshipped and his, his uh, servants said what, what are you doing when the boy was was sick, you fasted and prayed, but now that he's died, you, you, go, you go ahead and eat. And David said these words. He said, I will go to him, but he will not return to me. Now think about that. I always use that at a funeral. I will go to him, but he will not come back to me. In other words, that baby went to heaven. And David said, I know I'm going to be with him someday, but he's not going to come back to me, so why should I, why should I weep and mourn now? So every decision has consequences. You reap what you sow, good or bad. Luke 6.38 is talking about forgiveness. We use it for money, but it's talking about forgiveness. Given it should be given unto you, a good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over. In other words, you not only get back what you, what you gave, but you get it back multiplied. So... If you're a person who loves people, then you get that back multiplied. You forgive her, you're a forgiver, you get that back multiplied. If you're a hater, then you get that back multiplied. Giving resources, same thing in 2 Corinthians. So the third issue is, so first it's hidden, second it's out. Thirdly, guilty, please forgive me. And this is really the most important part of this message that I want to bring today. When I was in the second grade, I took a toy, took it home. My dad found out. He knew he didn't buy it for me. Where'd you get it? Well, finally, I confessed, and he took me back down to the five-and-dime store, this little town, and he asked for the manager. I was terrified, scared to death. Manager came out, 
And of course, they're, you know, I did this when I was managing a grocery store too. You'd make them feel as bad as you could. <laughs> they stole some, you know. And so he, he looked at me and I said, I said, I, I took this home and I didn't, I didn't pay for it. And I want you to please forgive me for doing that. I bring it back. And what I, what I want you to think about with forgiveness is you've carried the weight of sin in your life whether you might have sinned against another person and the other person has been hurt and there's a guilt, there's a heaviness that comes from, I hurt another person or in the case of sinning against the Lord, I hurt the Lord I sinned against the Lord and I feel guilty I feel heavy about that and I'll use the example of when I was converted but you can use it for many things when I was converted I got down on my knees I knew I was living a life of sin, and I knew better. I got down on my knees, and I said, Lord, if you'll please forgive me, I'll go any place you want me to go. I'll do anything you want me to do. Never imagining that he'd ask me to come to Montana and do this. I mean, that wouldn't have even been on my radar at that time. But when I confessed, I got up free. I knew there was this, this enormous weight that was lifted off of me. I was going the wrong direction. Now the Lord has forgiven me and he's going to give me the strength to go the right direction. And he did. So notice 1 John 1, 9, one of the most familiar verses in the Bible. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So when we say, Lord, please forgive me, Something supernatural happens. It literally removes the sin. And we can feel the freedom and the weight that is lifted from that. We'll just be available. Uh, Ginger had her 80th birthday, and we had our 50th anniversary within three days of each other in September. And, and uh, somebody who just heard about that, they said, Okay, Pastor, what do you think is the... Is the uh, the, the most important thing with regard to marriage, what, what one thing would you tell people to do? And this is what I said. I said, be a forgiver because you're going to need it. Amen. They will sin against you. You will sin against them. And, you know, I could tell you so many funny stories about Ginger and I getting in an argument but, and her, her reaction to that. You remember the one where I said... She, I'd been picking on her, and pretty soon she just got sick of it. She said, you shut up, you shut up, you shut up. <laughs> and I knew I better. <laughs> I, I didn't get forgiveness that night, I'm sorry to say, but I did the next morning. So I was with, a, I was with a, two men in a large meeting. It was a denominational meeting. And these two men who were pretty high up in the organization had done something that was not appropriate. At the time that they did it, I don't think they realized it was inappropriate, but, but it was. And the first man said, would you please forgive me? He said to this group of people, would you please forgive me? And the second man said, I didn't do anything wrong. So, Lots of things were said, but I said to him, I said, I said, listen to me. I said, if I hurt my wife, if she's hurt, 
even though I might not have intended to hurt her, I'm going to apologize and say, I'm sorry I hurt you. He said, I didn't do anything wrong. One man was forgiven and one man was fired. The consequences of a lack of repentance or a lack of asking for forgiveness can be very harsh. I had two staff members, both did the same thing, different period of time. I fired one of them. I forgave the other one because one refused to admit that what he did was wrong and the other one said, please forgive me. I know it, I know it was wrong. I knew it was wrong when I did it. I need forgiveness daily. I bet you do too. Sometimes little things, sometimes maybe a thought, sometimes maybe a word, something that you said to someone, some action, sometimes serious things. But I, I don't remember the last day I didn't ask the Lord to forgive me. I usually pray the Lord's Prayer when I go to bed at night and kneel down beside my bed. I'll pray other things, but I pray the Lord's Prayer, which says, forgive me. Is that forgiven others? So I kind of, the idea of that is not to say the words, but to examine, okay, is there anybody that I have something against? Is there anybody that I've not forgiven? Because what I'm praying is, forgive me as I've forgiven them. So if I haven't forgiven them, I'm saying, don't forgive me. So almost every day, I ask for forgiveness. Listen to these three verses that I'm going to read. All Old Testament scriptures, by the way. The first one is Isaiah 1.18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Second one is Psalm 103, verses 9 to 12. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, that's pretty graphic, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. When we think about east to west, we think, well, Miles City or Missoula. But this kind of forgiveness, far, the east and west literally it goes away from the curvature of the earth. So it's one way as far as you can go and the other way as far as you can go. In other words, your sins are separated from you forever into infinity. The third scripture is Micah 7, 14, 7 19. Corey Tinboom used to use this verse all the time. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. So, th so think about this. You have a piece of cloth, and it's dirty, or it's got red on it in this case. You wash it, and it's clean. It's white as snow. In other words, your sins are gone. As far as the east is from the west, into infinity. Hurled into the depths of the sea. It's pretty graphic. The New Testament word for forgiveness one of the meanings of it is to catapult something. You know what a catapult is? You hurl it. In other words, your sin is hurled away from you. It's no longer a weight on you, but it's now you're separated from it. 
David's confession of his sin with Bathsheba is recorded in Psalm chapter 51. You should, you should go home and read it. I'll read just a, the first part of it. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. You can hear David agonizing when he's saying those words. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. In other words, he was plagued by what he'd done. Against you and you only have I sinned and done evil in, in your sight. So what I hope you've heard me here say here today is the importance of forgiveness. It's one thing to clean things up. It's another thing to prevent them from happening. That's better yet. So you've heard me read this verse before. I love this passage. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. In other words, you're not an exception. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. I remember the first time I studied that passage, I sat at my desk and I thought, oh man, that takes away all the excuses. You will not let me be tempted beyond what you can bear. In other words, there's always a way out. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. So I want to just ask you for just a moment to bow your heads and close your eyes and and focus with me now. Don't, don't drift off, but focus. Is there anything in your life that you're facing that you haven't sinned yet, but you've been really tempted to sin? There's a way out. Where's the door? Ask the Lord to show you the door. Secondly, for those of you who have, have actually done something, I, you know, in fact, for all of us, just, just while you have your eyes closed, just go ahead and gri grip, your, grip your, your fist. Just take your hand, just grip, it, grip two fists. You can hold on to a sin. But when you do, it, it plagues you. It weights you down. You think about it. There's a weight to it. So if there's some sin in your life that isn't confessed yet and you're turning from it this morning, would you just, just open your hands and then hand it to the Lord? Just give, just give it to Him. He took that upon Himself on the cross. He paid your price for that sin. He doesn't want you to pay. He's already paid. And then thirdly, I want you to, to just think about the fact that you don't need to carry the weight of that any longer. God has it. He, he's saying, I, I got it. I've got it. It's in the depths of the sea. It's as far as east is from west. I've washed it away. I'm not going to think about that anymore. Lord, this morning I just pray for anyone here who's acknowledging and confessing a sin to you today. Lord, would you let them feel the joy of your forgiveness and the awe of your grace. Your grace is beyond our imagination. It's new every day. We thank you for, for your forgiveness and for the fact that it's unimaginable to us that you left heaven and came to earth. 
you paid the price for our sin. So help us walk in freedom today and in joy today. And lastly, is there anybody here today who has not yet acknowledged the Lordship of Jesus in your life? And what I mean by that is that he